Welcome to Engaging Truth. I'm your host, Matt Popovitz, and with me in studio today is Pastor Tim Carter, author of The The Executioner's Redemption, My Story of Violence, Death, and Saving Grace. Tim, welcome once again to Engaging Truth. Thank you for having me here, Matt. Hey, we've had you on a handful of times, but your story is so fascinating. It's worth repeating and digging even deeper into. Uh, but for those who've, who who perhaps never listened to our show, never never heard your your really incredible story of journeying from prison to pulpit, um, what's the quick overview of that journey? I guess a quick overview, Matt, would be that um, as a youngster, I uh, was going to school at Sam Houston State University, and my friends uh, encouraged me to maybe apply for and get a job there at night, uh, that it would be an easy job just to sit on a gun tower while I was studying during the day and do that at night. And so that's how it started, and then I was moved inside the building. I became a product of that environment, uh, and I ended up, it was going to be just a job while I was going to school, and I ended up staying there for decades, and uh, and I uh, did become a product of that bad prison environment before uh, eventually uh, the Word of God broke through that and started to uh, change my heart. So, so you were there in, in Huntsville, Texas? That's correct. Correct. And, and you were there as a, as a member of the staff, not oh, an inmate. I was. That's, that's correct. <laughs> but you, you eventually were working in, in death row, right? That is correct. And, and what, in, in what capacity were you working on death row? Okay. Uh, yeah, for um, many years I worked uh, with the execution team. So I was on the death squad. Wow. And so I was, at, at that time, I was a captain and a judge over our internal court system. And so in that position I was placed uh, on the execution squad, the death squad. And so I was a part of over 150 inmate executions. And so my role dealing with death row inmates was primarily on the day of their execution. And so death row is at another facility. I was at the Walls Unit in Huntsville, Texas, where all the executions took place. And uh, death row is a couple of miles, several miles away. And uh, But on the last day of an inmate's life, he spends that day, or she, with us. Mm-hmm. And so I spent that day with the inmates. So the, the prison chaplain and I, like you said, I was I was a captain, I was a judge over our internal court system. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, in that capacity, and as a part of the death squad, I would spend that day with the inmate, um, kind of prepping him for what was going to happen. And then I would eventually be the liaison between the inmate and his family who were wow. there to witness the execution and also a liaison between uh, us, the state of Texas, and the families of the, con- families of the victims who were there to witness the execution. Wow. And so that was my role during most of the ex- uh, executions. And, uh, but I also would go to death row on occasions for other purposes, but mm-hmm. my main working with death row inmates was actually being a part of the capital punishment process. So, so you're interfacing with, with the condemned, Yes. Uh, with their families. That's correct. Uh, and also with the families of victims. You, you were seeing really all sides of this, right? I did, yes, sir. And, and, but this at this time in your life, well, while you're doing this, you, you're not yet in, in, in pastoral ministry, are you? Uh, no, no, not in any pastoral ministry at all yet. And for most of that time, are, uh, are, you, are you a Christian? By the time I was assigned to the death squad, I was a believer and a growing 
growing believer in Christ at that time. Wow. Um, in your book, which is, which is, which is fascinating, <coughs> you, you, you mention a woman named Carla Faye Tucker. That's correct. Who, who was Carla Faye? She was the first female to be executed in the state of Texas and across the nation for many, many decades. And uh, so she gained a lot of notoriety and media attention. Uh, and her execution drew a crowd of many thousands of protesters for and against her execution. And I guess the one main thing that made her stand out uh, was that she did have a real uh, conversion experience in prison. Hmm. Many inmates uh, have a conversion experience, so some of them are real, some are not. And um, not that I'm God and judge their heart, but you know, and they end up proving one or the other. Uh, Carla Faye Tucker had a very real, very genuine, very deep conversion to love, know, and follow the Lord, and that grew over many years. She became a, a profound uh, representative. Uh, she represented Christ very well reflected Jesus very well. And so that experience of her coming to the death house and us carrying out that execution of Carla Faye Tucker was a bizarre and weird and different and profound experience because she was a female and because she was um, a very strong Christian. And, and she had an impact on, on you personally, right? That is correct. Let's talk about that. Uh, yes, I, I hate to talk like this, uh, Matt, but... Um, but doing 40 executions a year sometimes and <clears throat> doing <clears throat> several in one week many times and doing this for many years. <clears throat> I don't want to say that my heart became calloused, but it kind of did. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I hate to say that I became used to such a thing, but I kind of did. Mm -hmm. uh, but this was entirely different. <clears throat> and so I was not used to and was not prepared for. I heard that she was a Christian. There's a separate death row for males and females, and she lived out on female death row. And so I've never been to female death row, and I had never met her, but I had heard that she was a Christian. And But we have had some other inmates that have come to execution day and that we have executed that were Christians. And so I wasn't overly uh, animated or concerned about this, but I was curious. Uh, but her testimony that she lived out in that last day just uh, really was used of God, like you said, to affect me personally. Hmm. I, um, I just witnessed her doing so many uh, things, and she was not at all drawing any attention to herself. Her sole mission was to draw attention to God and to be a blessing to others around her. And so normally the, the behavior of someone on that in that execution holding cell and mm -hmm. on that uh, in the last day of their life is either fear or anxiety or anger <clears throat> or rebelliousness and she had none of those she was at complete peace zero fear and not only that but um she you could tell that she was um just set on blessing every everybody that she came into contact with and mm -hmm. so the, those of us that were members of the staff she was um thanking us profusely for being so kind and taking care of her. Mm -hmm. And uh, even the people that brought her her last meal, she was just so complimentary. She said, you know, that, uh, and so she was just blessing everyone. And mm -hmm. so total, no concern for herself, concern for everyone else, which is very uh, not typical. Mm -hmm. Even to the point to where we had female 
guards from female death row come with her to assist us in this because we have never done that before with a female. <clears throat> and the female guards were doing things that we weren't used to. They were crying uh, because they had grown to appreciate and respect uh, this inmate, inmate Tucker, and uh, they were very sad that she was about to die. Wow. And uh, I'm not used to seeing prison guards cry. Uh, and so, but uh, inmate Tucker, Carla Faye Tucker's response to that was is she would just say, don't worry, it's going to be okay. I'm going to be just fine. And uh, she would say powerful, amazing things such as, um, uh, you know, don't worry about the fact that I'm going to die. She said, I already died a long time ago to self. Hmm. And, uh, and so she said, I, I deserve this. I, uh, <clears throat> I have no desire to avoid it. And, uh, and so, but, you know, don't worry. Don't worry about me, you know. And she said, I'm praying for you, and you're going to be okay. You're wow. going to be okay. And so those are just some of the events that day. So, so she truly had, as the, the New Testament talks, a, a peace that surpasses understanding, um, a, a peace in the face of death that, that is really something that's, that's hard for many to wrap their minds around. As you're, as you're facing, you're, quite literally, your own judgment and execution, she, as you described it, had a, a profound, deep sense of peace that I, that I imagine is just would be baffling to many. Good uh, way to describe that, Matt. Good way to describe that. That is very accurate. She did have a piece that uh, just uh, is beyond uh, human understanding. Yeah. Uh, again, any, you would think that any normal person would be have a little anxiety or nervousness uh, as the clock ticks down closer to your death. Yeah. <clears throat> but she had zero, yeah. zero anxiety, zero concern, except uh, for the comfort and the blessing of those around her. Wow, wow. I would imagine that as you as you changed careers and ultimately became became ordained um, uh, in, in in ministry and and serve in a pas- as a pastor in a in a very different context than yes. than uh, uh, than uh, at the uh, at, at death row, um, that there are some things that you learned in your time in prison work that uh, have been surprising surprisingly helpful to you perhaps in in parish ministry, in church life. Well, what are some of the things you, you learned from your work um, uh, in, in, that, uh, uh, in, in that grim place in prison that, is, that has ultimately helped you or served you well in pastoral ministry? Anything? Um, definitely, Matt. That's another good question. And that is that, um, yes, I, back then I didn't realize it, didn't think anything about it, but uh, now, looking back, God definitely used each and every day of those experiences to prepare me for what I'm doing now in pastoral ministry. I, uh, and I counsel a lot of people, and I know a different side of life than most people know. And I can, uh, I'm, unfortunately, we do have a large church of thousands of people, and, and uh, not that that's a big deal, but what that means is when you have that many people You'd also have a lot of people whose grown adult children are in jail and in prison. Mm. And so that large congregation means that I visit a lot of our members and our members' children and grandchildren in jail and in prison uh, constantly. Mm. Uh, and so I hate to say that. It's not that our church is a bunch of you know violent, dangerous people, but that just happens. And, uh, and also, we also have a lot of young people that are almost in jail, 
that are in uh, fighting serious temptations and struggles. And so I found myself counseling them, counseling their parents, uh, and then uh, and then doing visits and counseling in prison and in the penitentiary. And so all those, um, I can definitely have been equipped and enabled by God to relate to those people and to talk to them on a different level than maybe most people can talk to them. And God kind of led me through, allowed me to go in the wrong direction. I, I, in the first couple of years of my prison career, I became very uh, uh, dark and uh, not a nice person. And I did not have any love or any desire for God. And uh, that changed. Uh, God broke through that. And so that transition has enabled me to have a very humble heart today. I identify with the Apostle Paul uh, in First Timothy to where he says, I am the chief of sinners, the worst of sinners. And so Paul is the most powerful, coolest, uh, you know, apostle and preacher and evangelist. And, um, and so that I, Paul is very humble in that, and that made him effective. And so in, in a long answer to your question, Matt, uh, things like that is that uh, I can relate to people that are agonizing in their physical challenges and in their spiritual challenges, people mm -hmm. that want to commit suicide, people that can't live with themselves because of what they've done. I've been there. Mm. I've been there, uh, and I'm still there. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and so God has given me a heart of grace yeah. and mercy and compassion to people that most people struggle to love. Mm. And throughout all of that, Matt, God has given me a, uh, an ability and a desire to love and to bless those people that um, other people are just thankful and glad that they're behind bars and behind big, thick walls and that they don't have to see. Yeah. What, what, about, what about just discipleship and following Jesus in general? Was there, was there anything that you learned uh, from your time in that work, um, ministering to the con working with, at that time, the, the condemned? working in a prison setting, or even just from watching someone like Carla Faye Tucker. Um, is there anything you learned about uh, discipleship, a life of following Jesus from your time in the prison? Yes, sir. Uh, there's a couple of profound things. I guess one of the biggest was that uh, I had become a believer uh, a, a couple years into my career. I started reading the Word of God for the first time ever uh, at about 25 years old. And uh, had never read the Word, uh, didn't believe in the Lord, didn't want to. And, uh, and so I became a believer. I was reading God's Word. But I was this, this discipleship path that you're talking about. It's a great question because I was being discipled at that time by a radio minister that was all law and no gospel. Hmm. And he was into uh, just fire and brimstone and little or no grace. Mm -hmm. And so I was being raised up like that. And so that actually made me feel more justified in the very violent life that I had before I knew the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was an extremely violent person, and prison was very violent mm -hmm. uh, back then, especially in the 80s. Uh, it was a very violent decade in prison. And I not just was a part of that violence, but I, back then my old self used to love that violence. I used to love to fight, right. and I used to 
pump iron and run wind sprints all day every day for years so that I could be better at fighting. And uh, so I'm, I'm ashamed to say that, but it's true. And as a part of my discipleship, that first phase of my discipleship made me feel like I was an agent of God's wrath and that made me even a more fierce physically fighting person. But then uh, that caught up with me and I, things were not going well in my life. And uh, I hit a lot of ugly, mean bumps in the road, a lot of consequences uh, for that type of a life. And I went to counsel with uh, one of my criminology professors back then, who was Dr. George Beto, who happened to be uh, a retired Lutheran pastor and a uh, retired, uh, he was a leader of uh, a couple of uh, Concordia universities. And and, uh, so... uh, I told him, I said, I heard you were a Christian, and I said, I'm trying to be a Christian in prison, but it's impossible to be an effective prison employee and keep peace and control and to keep stern control and to love and follow the Lord. And Dr. Beto told me, he said, he read to me one scripture verse, Matthew 10, 16. I uh, called you out to, to be a sheep among wolves. And to be a sheep among wolves, you must be as shrewd as a serpent, yet as gentle as a dove. And Dr. Beto told me, you're great at being shrewd as a serpent, and you're horrible at being gentle as a dove. So he says, you've got selective reading and listening to God's word. He said, you need to listen to the whole gospel, and you need to listen to and absorb grace and, uh, and mercy and being gentle, not just being stern and being shrewd. He said... Uh, the, uh, God sent his son to save those inmates just as much as to you. And Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for those inmates that you hate mm. just as much as he did for you. And he loves them every bit as much as he loves mm. you. And you need to learn to love wow. like that. Wow. That was a huge turning point. My discipleship has been shaped in that direction ever since. Wow. This is as good a moment as any for me to pause and remind our listeners that Engaging Truth is listener-supported. We're a 501c3 not-for-profit, and our hosts are volunteers. And it's your donations that help us to remain on the air and hear stories like Pastor Tim's. You can go to our website at elmhouston.org to donate. And at our website, again, elmhouston.org, you can access podcasts of past Engaging Truth programs or use the Contact tab to ask us a question, comment on our programming, or submit a prayer request. Uh, Tim, working where you did, you saw what some would say is kind of the worst of humanity. Um, and it's very easy for, for those of us who've, who've never done anything um, uh, to make it worthy of being on death row uh, to, to demonize and, and to think that there's a world of difference between those who've committed such horrible crimes and the rest of us. And, and yet the scriptures talk about the whole of humanity being... Uh, being not just broken, um, but but desperately sick, and uh, and and even even evil at its core. Um, what did, what did you learn about human nature that is true for all of us while working in that environment? I learned uh, by some fascinating things, such as Dr. Beto's interview, but also uh, I learned some fascinating things, Matt from the family of the inmates. I would work visitation weekend uh, once a month 
for years and years and years, and I would talk to a lot of the moms and dads of the inmates on visitation day. Mm-hmm. And, and the parents would tell me things like, my son is a really good person, you know, and this is what happened to him. And I would learn some stories. And it would start to melt my heart a little bit because all I'd ever seen is their son, the jerk, mm-hmm. and the trouble causer, and the whatever crime he committed, and whatever crimes he still commits. Uh, but I would see in these parents genuine love, and that came to a head. To uh, the most profound lesson of that was uh, during an execution night, when the mother of an inmate. She, she told me, um, she said, my son is a very special uh, lamb of God's, you know. And, I, and back then, at that time, excuse me for, um, people might not be able to see this, only hear it, but I, there is a um, cracking, a smile on my face out of embarrassment more than in a, a shame. But I, back then, my heart was thinking, ma'am, uh, your son is not a special lamb of God. Your son is a horrible person. Uh, I can remember thinking that. I didn't say that. Um, but uh, that uh, was what I felt at the time. And But this woman, this, this mother of the inmate, uh, she told me that she just loved her son. And he, she, she was, he was, you know, he had taken some turns that had broken her heart during her life. And during listening to her, my heart began to break, but God shattered my heart during the execution itself. I escorted that mother back into the witnessing area to allow her to witness the execution of her son. Mm-hmm. And I stood right next to her as she watched her son be executed. And she walked in, and uh, there was her son, strapped to the death gurney uh, with a boom mic over his face. And he was going to be dead in just a few minutes. And uh, she started to cry as soon as she saw him. And the inmate said to his mother over the boom mic, over his face, he said, don't cry, Mom. Don't cry. I'm going to be okay. And, um, and so she uh, kind of, if you want to call it, sucked it up. And she uh, said, okay, okay, I won't cry. And she didn't. But then uh, as the inmate was given his last words, uh, she was doing something that I know you can't see over, uh, if you're listening to this over the radio, but the lady, there's a bulletproof glass between us, uh, me and the family, uh, and the inmate on the strapped gurney. He's only about 10 feet away, but there's bulletproof glass between us, and the lady reached out, and she stroked her hand on the bulletproof glass many times, just stroking her hand, and I was wondering, what in the world is she doing? And I realized that she, in her imagination, and with her whole heart, she was stroking her hands through that inmate's hair, mm-hmm. her son's hair, and she was just rubbing her child, her innocent child that she gave birth to and that she raised in innocence, and she was stroking the hair of that child, not the murderer that we mm-hmm. were executing, but the, but the child that she loved so much, and at that moment, God shattered my heart, and I was thinking, that is God's love. Yeah, yeah. God sees that guy just like that. And, and I can remember thinking, oh, my goodness, Dr. Beto was so right uh, that I need, I need 
to be humbled with every ounce of that you know and this is doing it so yes that was a a big part of it what well tim what a, what a powerful story and an incredible picture of the gospel that god loves us just like that mother loves that son yes sir despite all the th- things that that son had done wrong but then also that jesus christ took that very spot for us with arms laid out dying for the sins of the world, crying out to his own mother and telling her it was going to be okay. That Jesus Christ would die for us that way as a condemned man, though he had done no no wrong, so that we, who deserve all punishment, could be called sons and daughters of God. Tim, thank you so much for being on Engaging Truth, for sharing your stories. And for those who have not yet read his book, I can't recommend it enough, The Executioner's Redemption by Reverend Tim Carter. Thanks for being on Engaging Truth. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at 7 o'clock p.m. at 100.7 The Word. Be sure to check us out on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Engaging Truth. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.